Then we have uh, Matthew chapter uh, 18, 15 through 35. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured, and he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Good morning, Broadway. My name is Sims, for those who don't know me. I'm going to be sharing God's word with you this morning. And thank you for reading. Grandma's did a good job on that. We are going through uncommon unity. Um, and our statement on uncommon unity is we are a diverse community brought together by our shared experience of the love of Jesus, our King. We are brought together by expressing our spiritual gifts. We are brought together by welcoming each person as a unique bearer of God's image. That's our statement when it comes to uncommon unity that we are going through this fall. So today I want to speak to you about forgiveness, reconciliation, and uncommon unity. And I want to start by making it clear that forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. And we have always mixed this together. But they are not the same thing. And not being the same thing, one comes before the other. Forgiveness comes first and reconciliation comes after forgiveness. In our churches and in our lives as Christians, the absence of forgiveness robs us of the power that comes with unity. 
when we don't forgive each other, we are robbed of the power that comes with being together. There is power in unity. That is why Jesus prayed that, Father, in John, that, Father, may they be one as we are one. There is power in unity. And when we do not forgive, when there is absence of forgiveness amongst us, it robs us of that power. So the enemy is excited when there is lack of forgiveness in our lives. Jesus clearly warned us in the scripture that was just read that God will not forgive our sins if we do not forgive those who sin against us. I know that sounds very tragic, but that's what he said. He said it twice, and we're going to go through it again and see what he said. The expectation here is that God expects from us who are forgiven, from that overflow of being forgiven, to be able to forgive others. God expects a forgiven person to forgive. As I said, forgiveness and reconciliation are different. It's possible to forgive somebody and not offer reconciliation. It's a possibility. Reconciliation comes after forgiveness and is focused on restoring the broken relationship. Where the trust has been broken, reconciliation is the process of building that trust. Reconciliation takes time. Forgiveness can be instant, but reconciliation can take time. It is a process. So it's different from that. Another thing that is different here is to realize that forgiveness is about me who has been offended, letting go. But reconciliation is often conditioned on how the offender feels about the offense that they have made. The actions and the attitude of the offender have got more to do in reconciliation than anything else. But in forgiveness, it is me, the offended, my attitude, my heart, that becomes a big part of what is happening here. Let's hear a little bit. We, we always hear the Lord's Prayer, and we love the Lord's Prayer. We say it back home where I come from. We say it in schools and everywhere because it's the Lord's Prayer. But I want you to hear a few things here in the Lord's Prayer. And it says, that's Matthew chapter 6, Verse 7 through 15. Verse 7 says, And when you pray, do not use meaningless repetitions like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of the many words. So do not be like them, praying as they do, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we, as we have forgiven our debtors, letting go of both the wrong and the resentment. I'm going to read that again. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, letting go of both the wrong and the resentment that we hold. That's forgiveness. And then it goes on, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil for your kingdom and your power and your glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he goes on and says, for if you forgive, this is Jesus. 
This is the second time he's mentioning it in our readings so far. He mentions a lot of times. mentions it in Luke. He mentions again here in Matthew. And then in verse 14, it says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, their reckless and willful sin, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, nurturing the hurt and the anger um, with the result that it interferes with your relationship with God, then your Father will not forgive your trespasses. I'm reading from the Amplified, by the way, so it explains a few words. So Jesus has said it again and again that if we hold on and cherish the unforgiving spirit, we will not be forgiven. And I want to encourage us, Broadway, today. What area of your life are you holding on and cherishing that unforgiving spirit towards a brother or a sister? My old senior pastor at my previous church, yes, he is old in age, but I mean old in that he is, yeah, I should not explain this. I'm going to mess this up. <laughs> my previous senior pastor used to say this, that forgive, unforgiveness, when you cherish that unforgiving spirit, is like drinking poison and expecting the next person to die from it. Because guess what? They are going on with their life and enjoying their life. And there you are holding on to this. And each time you see them, oh man, the fire rises. Or each time you think about them, the fire rises. And guess what? They don't experience that. You are torturing yourself by holding on. It does not mean that they should not face consequences for what they've done. We're going to talk about that later. But it means that you free yourself first from holding on to a hurt that has happened. I love Peter. Matthew 18, one of my favorite guys. <laughs> Peter gives a question here about forgiveness. He says, it says, Matthew 18, 21 to 22, it says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times may my brother sin against me and I forgive him and let go? As many as seven times? Jesus answered him, I tell you, not up to seven times, but 70 times seven. So Peter is being very generous here. He has heard that God will forgive us when we forgive. This is how God will treat us when we forgive. He has heard that when the church comes together and, and in agreement, uh, whatever is agreed here on earth is agreed in heaven. He has heard all those things, so he's excited and he's being generous. And he says, should I forgive them seven times? And why the number seven? It's because number seven represents as well completeness. But also I want you to remember, if you, if you study a little bit, you'll find that the Jewish leaders at that time agreed that you need to forgive somebody three times. And then afterwards you could revenge. So there was a teaching that three times is the normal. When they say, oh yeah, uh, Sage has patience with Sims because Sage has forgiven Sims three times. The fourth time... Uh, it's an ear for an ear, an eye for an eye. But Peter gives a little bit like, okay, what about if we do it seven? And Jesus goes on and says, not only seven, but seven by 70 times, which is like impossible a day for somebody to, to wrong you that much on one day. So Jesus is saying, forgive completely. Seven by 70 times, you'd have stopped counting by then in that day. 
But he says, forgive, and then you let go of that resentment. Then we hear the parable of the unforgiving servant, which they just read in Matthew 18, 2, on 35. Jesus says, also my heavenly Father will deal with every one of you if you do not freely forgive your brother from your heart. And the unforgiving servant, he goes, he goes to his master and he says, and his master calls him and says, well, you owe me this much. For example, it's a, I'm giving a, a numbers here like crazy. Maybe he owes a million and the, serv- and the master says, you owe me a million. And then he's like, oh, please forgive me. He falls down and we hear that. And then the master says, okay, it's fine. I'll forgive you that. Go and be free. And then he walks out and then he sees his brother who owes him 10 bucks. And he says, time up, give, you owe me. And the guy says, oh, I don't have it now, blah, 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 I'll try. And, and he begs for mercy and says, there is no mercy for you. That's it, you owe me. So if you're not going to pay me, I'm going to have you arrested and sold into slavery until you pay my money. And the master hears that. And the master is very angry. He says, I've forgiven you a million, but you can't forgive 10 bucks. In my life, there were times where I walked in unforgiveness for a long time. I walked in unforgiveness. I walked with anger towards certain people that when their name is mentioned or when I think about their name, it comes out. But I want to tell you one thing that happened to me. I was actually funny because I was at Teen Missions. And Teen Missions kind of like forces you to read. That's one other thing. There's library time where you're forced to read books. So you choose a book that you're going to read through the summer. Two or so books that you're going to read through the summer. And one of the books that I picked up was The Hiding Place. Because it sounded like a very interesting story. Corrie Ten Boom. I read that book. And then afterwards, I chose the Lord's uh, Trem, and I read that book. And reading that book, I realized, man, if she could forgive this much, why is it so hard for me to forgive this much? And I made a choice. It was a hard choice. But I made a choice to release it to God. We cannot forgive by ourselves. We need to release it to God. One of the things that we are good at is holding the wrong, holding the grudges. So I want you to realize that God's forgiveness is the foundation for our forgiveness, for us to be able to forgive others. It undergirds that. It supports our forgiveness for other people. When our forgiveness for other people comes from the extent of how much God has forgiven us, it will not be hard for us. To forgive others. So if we don't forgive others, if we go on with an unforgiving spirit, that shows in a way that there is a lack of trust in God in our lives. It says, do not revenge, leave revenge to the Lord because it belongs to him. So if we trust him, if you see your enemy naked, feed them, oh, Naked, sorry, clothe them, hungry, feed them. <laughs> I messed it up, eh? <laughs> Shannon looked at me like, <laughs> whatever you see them lacking, meet that need. That's what he says. So when we trust him, we'll be able to do that. 
because we trust the forgiveness that we have received. When we don't forgive, we show that we do not trust him fully. We don't trust even the forgiveness that he has for us. Because when he has forgiven us, it would be easy when we realize how much we have forgiven. If Sims realizes how much he is forgiven, it would be easy for him to forgive Bill if Bill kicks him. To be very easy because he understands how much he has forgiven. What does forgiveness look like? Um, I've been reading the Puritans um, and I love that. I've been uh, listening to uh, books. Well, I call it reading, but it's listening to books. Same thing, different ways of getting it in. I've been listening to a book called The Body of Divinity by Thomas Watson, uh, 1620 to 1686. He's a Puritan from uh, England. He was a Presbyterian preacher, um, one of those people who like stood on certain truths to a point where he was deposed from his ministry and so on and so on. He's such an interesting character. But this is how he puts forgiveness. And I'm going to read it to you and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. He says forgiveness, talking about forgiveness or what it is. He says when we, when we strive against all thoughts of revenge, this is what forgiveness is, is when we strive against all thoughts of revenge, when we will not do our enemies mischief, but wish them well. When we grieve their calamities, when we pray for them, when we seek reconciliation with them, and when we show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them. This is really hard. A few things that come out of this. Number one, he says, when we resist the thoughts of revenge. When we've forgiven people, we resist the thought of revenge. We are not harboring thoughts of how we're going to revenge to them. And then he says, when we do not return evil. Okay, I'm going to put this with scripture. Resisting revenge is the same thing that scripture tells us, do not revenge. I've spoken about that scripture already. Revenge belongs to the Lord. I want to, I want to try and put this against scripture so you can understand what, where we're going. He says, do not, um, when we do not return evil for evil, when we wish them well um, and we grieve in their calamities, when somebody's got trouble that we has offended us, when we do not return evil for evil, the Bible tells us do not return evil for evil. It tells us to grieve with those that do grieve. And rejoice with those that will rejoice. It tells us again that we are to clothe our naked enemy, not the other way around, and feed our hungry enemy. And all that comes from not having those thoughts of evil towards them, but wishing them well. Number three is to pray for them. Prayer does an amazing thing in our hearts. Recently, I have a stepbrother that I had really anger towards over certain things. I had harbored anger towards him in my heart. And each time I would mention his name. And <laughs> but I want to tell you that one day God, I felt God challenging me in that, why don't you pray for him? And I started praying for this, for this stepbrother of mine by name, every day. I did not like it. 
but I did not want to do it. I wanted to pray for him so that, um, maybe so that, you know, my wrongs with him will be corrected or whatever. I did not wish evil for him. I was just angry at him. And I did not want anything to do with him. And I was not open to any conversation with him. And when the Lord asks me to pray, and each morning as I drive, I pray for people and I'm praying and I'm praying for him each day. And my prayer for him each day, Lord, I pray for so and so. I pray that you be with them. I pray that you bless them. That was really hard to do the first few days. I pray that you would bless him. I pray that you would bring him to the knowledge of you. I pray that you would walk with him. Those were my prayer things that I prayed for him daily, and I still do that today. And the more I did that, the more there was a release in the tight knot of my heart. It was like there was oil that was being put in that knot, and then that knot being untangled. To a point where now, I am open to reconciliation with that brother. And I'm open to reconciliation because I did not do anything else but prayed a blessing for him each day. Broadway, if there's somebody that you have challenged with, I challenge you today. Pray for them. Pray a blessing upon them. And see what God does. Prayer does things. We always say prayer changes things, but prayer changes us from inside out. When we pray, when we spend time with God, we are changed. So I want to encourage you to be people who pray and pray a blessing over them. Don't pray for hailstone and fire. Pray a blessing over them. And leave it there. Each time they come to your mind and that thought comes out, pray a blessing over them. Because that's who we are. We are people who bless. We are people who have learned to forgive because we have been forgiven much. Number four, he says, be ready to seek reconciliation. It doesn't mean that you're going to be reconciled with that person. But be at a place where if, because I remember I said to you, reconciliation takes that other person's attitude. When their attitude comes right and they are ready to admit that I've wronged you, be ready to be the person who says, come here. Let's do this. Let's rebuild. It doesn't happen automatically. It's rebuilding, but being open to the process of rebuilding relationship. That's what we are called to do. Be ready to seek reconciliation with them when they come to you. At many times, we forgive people and we say, I will never trust you. That's not being ready to seek reconciliation. And then it says, be ready to help them when they are in need. As much as you can afford to help or you've got the, the resources to help, be ready to help them when they are in need. All these points that I've pour, pulled out here, I've pulled them out because Matthew 18.35, Jesus says, unless you forgive your brother from your heart. All these points here eliminate, sorry, start from here, from the heart. Resisting revenge starts from the heart. Not returning evil for evil starts from the heart. Praying for them starts from the heart. Being ready to seek recourse, it's all about the heart. Where is your heart today? And I know some of you are like, yeah, you speak about this as if it's very easy. It is not easy. It is hard. 
but we are called to do the hard work. And it is hard, and in that hardness, Jesus does not leave us alone to do it by ourselves. He is there to hold our hand through the whole process. Brothers and sisters, forgiveness is not these things. Number one, forgiveness is not ignoring the anger at sin. It's not the anger at the person, it's the anger at the sin. And again, I want you to realize that yes, you have anger at the person in the beginning, but you do not need to hold on to it and cherish it. You need to let that go. And what could be left is anger at the sin. Forgiveness does not mean you feel good about the sin. It does not mean that at all. And again, forgiveness does not mean removing the consequences for sin. David and Bathsheba, when David confesses to the prophet, what happens? Says, yeah, you're forgiven, but this is going to happen. Forgiveness does not mean removing consequences. We learn from consequences. So consequences are okay. As as long as they are not done in revenge, but they are done in the process of this person learning that there's consequences for their decisions. So I want to remember that forgiveness does not mean that you have removed the consequences from the situation. Forgiveness does not mean, this is a hard one, it's a true one, that the offender is repentant. Forgiveness does not depend on the repentance of the offender. It depends on the offended. We are commanded to love our enemy and pray for those who persecute us and do good to those who hate us. It doesn't say to those who have repented or to those who have seen their wrong and asked for your forgiveness. Forgiveness is not retrusting and reconciliation. You can surely look at somebody and say, I forgive you, but I don't have trust for you at this point. I am willing to build that trust, but I don't have it at this point. That's fine. But I want you to realize how crucial the heart is, especially at this point. Because it's very easy for us to say, I forgive you and I will never trust you. That's a different heart. We are called to forgive and say, I don't trust you, but I am willing to work on trust issues with you. It doesn't mean we are reconciled. It doesn't mean we're going to jump and skip together. Okay, no. It means we're going to walk through this process together to get to that point where we can embrace our relationship where it was and move on forward in reconciliation. And sometimes it's easy in our hearts to say, I forgive you and I hope no one ever trusts you again. I don't care if your life is totally ruined at this point, but I forgive you. That's not forgiveness from the heart. That's forgiveness with words, but without the heart. And Jesus says, if we do not forgive our brothers from the heart. In Matthew, again, he says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Oh, sorry, this is not Matthew. This is, uh, this is Paul talking in Romans. Um, do not repay... Oh, where was I? Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful 
to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you heap coals, burning coals on their head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I want us to realize here that by nature, we are people who retaliate. It is nature for us to retaliate. Nobody teaches a kid that if another kid scratches you, you scratch them back. I've never seen a mom, maybe they are, maybe they are, and I'm, or a dad, maybe they are, but I've never seen one who tells their one-year-old or their eight-month-old, if he scratches you, scratch him back. They, sh- they, they surely are sick people like that. And I'm not going to say more than that. But we teach our kids, we are always correcting our kids, no, 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 it's okay, don't. Why? Because it's natural for us to be people who retaliate. But I want us to see something here. What Paul speaks about here, he's not giving us an option to forgiveness by saying if it depends on you. He's actually giving us an obligation. It's not an option, it's an obligation. You know, it's easy for us to say, if you say something unkind to me, I'll say it back at you or even more. If you say something unkind, I'll find something even worse to say to you. And listen to this. And Paul is speaking to the Romans. And think about this. The Romans at that time, when he's telling them, love your enemy, clothe them, do all these nice things that we're like, oh, what? you know, he's maybe on cloud nine. But he's telling the truth because he's talking to these people who are being persecuted at that time. He's talking up to a young lady who has seen her father and mother thrown in the lion's den and watched as the lions tore them apart in front of the Coliseum. He's talking to uh, somebody who has survived the beatings during that time. And he says to them, do not revenge yourself. How many of us have gone through that extremity that we think we have a right to hold a grudge against our brother? Paul is speaking to people who are facing real existential issues here. Not small things like, oh, you scratched my car, or you spoke bad about me. Paul is speaking to people who are experiencing physical harm. And he says to them, forgive. We are not instruments of retaliation, but we are instruments of reconciliation. Paul tells them, I want you as believers of Rome, in the face of everything that you are facing, to learn to let go. And then he gives two qualifications. The first one being, if it is possible... He's talking about reconciliation now, not forgiveness. Forgiveness is done. Reconciliation next. He says, if it is possible, if it is at all possible, it is possible because he's not offering a loophole here. He's asking us because, remember, he's not saying that if you can manage to control your temper, if you can manage to be nice, 
he's not asking you that. He's saying that if it is possible, because there are situations where it's impossible because the offender is not, this is reconciliation, it's not forgiveness, because the offender is not willing to see where they are wrong. And so trust cannot be built. So he's giving that. He's saying to be reasonable, if it is possible for us, we need to live at peace with everybody. And then he goes to the second thing that he gives us here. He says, as far as it depends on you. Again, showing us it might not be possible to prevent our opponents from, make, from causing harm to us. But it is possible for us not to cause harm back at them. We are responsible to be reluctant towards revenge. It's our responsibility. Love takes the initiative of forgiveness. We are to be always prepared to pursue that forgiveness. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Make every effort to pursue peace with all men. And this, this reminds us that being at that place where we're making every effort to pursue peace with all men, he says it's, it goes with holiness, which no one, which without no one will see the Lord. It's true that peace can never be in the expense of the truth. And again, I want to remind us that truth cannot heal if it does not have love and grace attached to it. So yes, they might have wronged you, but love, truth, love, and grace go together. I've always referred to Clausen and Towns, Clausen um, and Townsend's book that speaks about truth, time, and love being one component. Uh, the book is Changes That Heal. So one of the things that leads us to unforgiveness that I'm going to deal with and then let you guys go, it's some of the part of what Ryan spoke about last week, so I'm going to pull back a little bit on what he spoke about last week. One of the things, the major things that causes us unforgiveness is pride. We do not forgive people because we are proud. And that pride makes us not to forgive and then leads us to disunity. The reason why we don't forgive, we don't forgive because they hurt me. Who do they think they are to hurt me? That's pride. There are three issues here with pride that I want to deal with. The first one is that pride could be sometimes could come up as when we are self-preoccupied with ourselves. We think continually about ourselves. We may look humble, but continually in our minds, we think about ourselves. Outside, we, I know of a story um, that there's this 
church where they, they were doing this thing about humility and they gave one of the deacons, you are so humble, and they gave them a, a badge that says the most humble. And he wore it every Sunday until they took it away from him. And he looked humble on the outside, but there was pride on the inside. So when we are preoccupied with ourselves, and, and then that, help, that, that stops us from being in a place where we empathize with people, where we can then forgive because we empathize with what is happening in other people's lives. Second one is when we are self-infectuated. Actually, maybe go back to preoccupied people with self might be even people who don't like themselves, who even hate themselves, but they're preoccupied with themselves. So this second one is somebody who thinks, I am the perfection of everything. And that's another area where we find ourselves when we are self-infectuated, so much love ourselves that we are the center of it all. Even in this area of forgiveness, we are the center of it all. Why did he or she say that about me? I will show them what I'm made of. And then the third one is self-exalting. I am high and above all other rules and all other human beings. So if they poke me, I will show them how high I am and how much power I wield. These are people who self-exalt themselves. But we are called to be people of humility. We are called to be people who do not think about ourselves all the time. We are thought, called to be people who think of others. A Christian that is self-preoccupied, a Christian that is self-infectuated, a Christian that is self-exalted is a non-Christian. Because in Christ, we are Christ-preoccupied. In Christ, we are Christ-infectuated. In Christ, we are Christ. We, we, feel, we are filled with Christ-exaltation, not self. The main thing about Christians is that we are called to a life of faith. A life of faith is a life of humility. That's our first step into Christendom. Faith in Jesus. Faith in that he has done it all. I don't need to do anything to end God's love. That's humility. When we are proud, we think we've got ways to end this. But when we are humble, we say, Jesus, you are the king and you have paid it all. That's the first step to Christianity, am I right? Is accepting the gift and accepting that it's only through Christ. Not of ourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, so that we do not boast. Am I right? Amen. So that's humility, that's the first space for a Christian. So if we do not forgive others, we are standing in a place of pride, which is the opposite of faith. Because we're not trusting God. I want to challenge us as Broadway. What does it look like for us to be people of humility and people of faith that forgive and are willing to walk towards reconciliation. And I want to take a little turn here and speak to somebody who has not experienced Jesus, who has not taken that step of faith first. 
This might be your opportunity if you have not met Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life and you feel a tugging in your heart as we speak here. This might be you. And that tugging might be the Holy Spirit speaking to you. If you have not made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, this forgiveness thing is extra hard. This unforgiveness you are carrying is going to eat you up. Chew you up and spit you out. But Jesus offers a way out. And I want to invite you to accept that gift in humility. Accept the gift of his forgiveness. The terms of his forgiveness are very easy. But also they are very empowering for you to get out of the cycle of unforgiveness. If that is you today, I want you to know that there's going to be people here that can speak to you about it. See me after the service. See one of the elders. See one of the people you've seen here in the front. They'll be able to talk to you about what it looks like to come to Jesus and say, Lord, here am I. And if that fire is burning wild enough in your heart and you're feeling that uncomfortability as we speak about coming to Jesus and you know this is me and you want to do it in front of witnesses, this area is an area for you to come and kneel and pray as we sing and somebody will come and pray with you and lead you to the saving grace of Jesus. Accepting the terms of forgiveness that he offers. And for us as the church, those who have received Jesus, this is my challenge to you. You have accepted these terms. How are you living out these terms? Is his forgiveness so full in you that it bubbles out and affects others? That's what we are called to be. People who have received this forgiveness that bubbles within us to the fullest and it flows out and affects others. I'll ask the worship team to come forward as I end this. We're going to sing a song together that I asked the worship team to, 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 to sing today after the service. It's called Tear Down the Walls. And I want to encourage you, would you tear down the walls that are in your heart? Would you tear down the walls that you have built with unforgiveness and offenses? Would you tear them down today? Ask the Lord, allow the Lord to tear those walls down. It says, tear down the walls, see the world. Is there something, is something we have missed? And it tells us, turn from ourselves and look beyond, for there is much more than this. And I want to ask you today, as you tear down these walls, turn from yourself, look beyond. There is hope in Jesus. There is no hope in looking to me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. But there is hope in looking to Jesus. It says hope arises as you see his majesty. As you experience his kingship over your, over your life, hope arises. Let his love tear down these walls. His love is there to change us and to make us more like him. And then at the end, he goes on, for all your sons and daughters who will walk in the darkness, you are calling us to lead them back to you. We can lead them back to him because we know he's a God who forgives. And when he forgives, he forgets. And when he loves, he loves deep. 
Broadway, he loves you deep. Not only Broadway, people who are here visiting, who you don't, maybe you might not know the Lord, guess what? He loves you deeply and he wants to be in relationship with you. He doesn't care what you have done because he can forgive. He says, come, even if your sins are as red as scarlet, let's reason together and I will make you as white as snow. That's an offer of a lifetime. He is willing to forgive. Brothers and sisters, for those of us who know the Lord and have been holding unforgiveness, he is willing to forgive us from that too. And he says, come, let's tear down those walls together.